0: Good morning, good morning everyone and And today we begin with the next module for term two and that is the digestive system and metabolism module now as as we told you all in the beginning of the term the um, we have we begin with metabolism from day one that is today and also with digestive system we will begin today so it will be like metabolism and the digestive system will happening will be happening together i think about two lectures for each yeah and towards the end of the module you just have um, metabolism and i think digestive system will be done by about two and a half weeks or so okay now the first lecture in this in this module is we shall basically look at the structure and function of carbohydrates and their mag- medical significance. Now, uh, when we mention Lipincott's, that's your biochemistry textbook, okay? So Lipincott's biochemistry, and there are practice questions. Okay. Now, what are the functions of carbohydrate? Now, remember, carbohydrates are one of the main sources of energy in the diet, about 55 or 50 to 60 percent of your energy is coming from dietary carbohydrates. Besides that, it's a storage form of energy, like glycogen in the liver and in the muscle. You've learned last term that it's a structural component, it may be in the membranes or in the basement membrane, where proteoglycans and glycosaminoglycans are important constituents of the basement membrane. It's an important source of dietary fiber. We shall be discussing today about the structure of cellulose. Now, the next thing, the regulation of glucose in the blood is, so glucose is the major source of carbohydrate or energy in the blood, and it's especially important for the brain at all times and the cells that lack mitochondria, that is RBC, WBCs, and retina. Now, besides these, the, besides these tissues that are listed here, Glucose can also serve as an energy supply in the liver as well as muscle, but that depends more on the state of whether you're in the fed state or in the fasting state. So in the fasting state, these tissues do not use glucose. Yeah? Whereas in the fed state, the muscle and the liver will utilize glucose for the energy supply. Besides that, they are components of the cell membrane and that you have studied in the last term. We don't have a clock, so that's why we're we're trying to We have okay. Maybe I'll work with this one. Oh no. (laughs) Okay, whatever. Yeah, if if I go beyond time just just signal, okay? Now uh, what are enantiomers? Now enantiomers are basically mirror images of each other. Now remember it's the D form of sugars, whereas the L form of amino acids that are most abundant in humans. Yeah? So it's the D form of sugars. Try to compare it to amino acids. The amino acids are the L form that are prominent in in humans. Next we move on to classification of carbohydrates. You've, you've learned this before. Based on the number of the building blocks or number of monosaccharides, the basic um, building block is considered as a monosaccharide, so you can classify based on the number of monomers as monosaccharide, disaccharides, oligo, and polysaccharides now oligosaccharides we do not we, they are typically linked to either carbohydrate uh, sorry either lipid or protein, so we are not going to look at. A, um, a lot of detail about oligosaccharides, but we shall mainly look at monodi and the polysaccharides of importance. Now, monosaccharides can be further classified based on the functional group that is present as either aldoses or ketoses. Now, aldoses have an aldehyde group and this is at carbon atom number one, versus ketosis have a keto group and that is at ca- carbon atom number two of the sugar. Now besides that, monosaccharides, if you look at the number of carbon atoms, you can classify based on the number of carbon atoms as triosis, tetrosis, pentosis, hexosis and heptosis. And most of these you will come across in carbohydrate metabolism. Now we shall also briefly look at the isomeric forms of monosaccharides and we should pay attention to a few of them that are important for medical students. Now first we should look at the aldosis versus ketosis. Now aldoses have an aldehyde group. It is present on carbon atom number 1 on C1 versus ketosis have a keto group at C2. Now presence of the free functional group, the aldehyde or the keto group, because of the presence of this free group, what happens is they can easily reduce or they can convert cupric ions to cuprous ions, and hence these sugars are also called as reducing sugars. They convert cupric ions to cuprous ions. Now, this important reaction is the basis of detecting sugars in the urine. Yeah? Now, if you compare the reaction of aldosis or, and ketosis, you find that the aldehyde sugars or the aldoses react much faster. But remember, all monosaccharides are considered as reducing sugars because ketosis also react, but they take a slightly longer time. Yeah. Now, detection of sugars is important in, in medicine, especially as a clin- in, in the clinical lab, and it can be done, the, what we just explained, the conversion of kypric ions to kyprous ions is the basis of the test called as the Benedict's test and has been modified nowadays and is called as the Clinic test. Now, there are three important situations where we would like you all to remember that glucose uh, sorry, or uh, sugars are present in the urine. One of them is diabetes mellitus. So, you've seen a lot about diabetes mellitus. Patients with diabetes mellitus typically, when they have the blood glucose more than the renal threshold, yeah, so the number that's given there is the renal threshold. So when the blood glucose level is beyond the renal threshold, what happens is glucose will be found in the urine. So that's the most common clinical situation where glucose is present or sugar is present in the urine. That is diabetes mellitus. Now besides that, you will also be learning about inherited disorders of fructose and galactose metabolism. Fructosuria and hereditary fructose intolerance are two disorders associated with um, inherited defects in metabolism of fructose and in both these situations you will find a reducing sugar and that is fructose in the urine. Now we shall also look at galactosemia where there is a defect in the metabolism of galactose and in, in children with galactosemia you will find, especially when the diet is not controlled you will find that galactose is found in the urine. Yeah now fructoseuria hereditary fructose intolerance and galactosemia typically are found in children yeah in neonates or children whereas diabetes mellitus is more like in the in the older population or it could be the type 1 diabetics who are like adolescents okay but of course i would like you all to remember that diabetes mellitus is the most important uh, condition where you find a reducing substance or a re- reducing sugar in the urine yeah. Now, you can detect a reducing sugar by, the, by doing the Benedict's test, and we have discussed the most important sugars that are present, but sometimes you want to imagine it's a, small, a very young patient, and you want to differentiate, is it, an, is it fructose or galactose, or is it glucose, then you can use a, a, a dipstick test that is very specific for glucose. In both these disorders, in both these disorders, you will find that the, the reaction with the dipstick for, that is specific for glucose will not be reacting. Yeah? In other words, it will be negative, whereas in diabetes mellitus, it will be positive. Yeah? Now, you've also heard of lactose intolerance. Lactose intolerance is when lactose in the diet is not being digested. Yeah? You just saw briefly about lactose intolerance in the previous module, Remember, in patients with lactose intolerance, they do not have sugar in the urine. Yeah? And that's can—that's one of the tests to differentiate between these disorders, fructoseuria, galactosemia, and lactose intolerance. So in lactose intolerance, sugar is not present in the urine. So typically, the, this was the original Benedict's test, where you find that we'll explain why is sucrose is not reducing sugar, so the Berenix reagent is typically blue in color. It was used as a bedside test. The basis is, has been extended to the clinic test. Note that glucose, galactose, and fructose, so the blue turns um, red or orange-red, and that tells you that there is a reducing substance or a reducing sugar in the urine. So later we shall be explaining why is sucrose not a reducing sugar. Okay. And that is the dipstick test that is commonly done and this is presence of glucose indicates a change in the color, okay? and will give you approximately the amount of glucose in the blood. Now typical examples of aldosis versus ketosis, 3-carbon um, atom or a triose is glyceraldehyde and dihydroxyacetone. Now both of these are intermediates of glycolysis. 4-carbon atom is erythrose, 5-carbon atom, Ribose, xylose, rib- ribulose, and xyl- xylulose are ketoses. Now, six carbon atom, the most abundant aldose is the six carbon, that is he- uh, glucose, which is an aldohexose. Galactose and mannose are also examples of aldohexoses, whereas fructose is a ketohexose. A seven carbon sugar, one of them only I've listed, uh, seven carbon ketose is pseudoheptilose. Nine carbon compound is N-acetyl neuraminic acid, which is present in gangliosides. Okay, and I haven't listed whether it is an aldose or a ketose, but because it is a derivative sugar. Okay, now if you think about this table, these two are intermediates of glycolysis, whereas the four carbon and the five carbon, as well as the seven carbon atom sugars, are intermediates of the pentose phosphate pathway. or the hexose monophosphate pathway. Now, most of the time, uh, sugars in solution tend to be present in a cyclic form. Now, if you think about cyclization, what happens is the carbon atom number one now also becomes asymmetric on cyclization. There are basically two forms, one in which the hydroxyl group is above the plane of the ring, or the hydroxyl group is below the plane of the ring. The form of glucose in which the hydroxyl group is above the plane of the, link, uh, of the ring is called beta. So that's the beta form, which is more abundant in solution, versus the alpha form in which the hydroxyl group is below the plane of the ring. Now enzymes are very specific for the beta or the alpha form of the sugar and the beta or the alpha form of the linkage. Okay. And these two forms, alpha and beta forms, are called as anomers. Now epimers are um, isomers of, of of carbohydrates or monosaccharides in which there is a change in the orientation of the hydroxyl group around one of the carbon atoms. For example, on this slide, there are glucose and mannose. So if you compare the structure of glucose and compare it to mannose, you will find that there is a change in hydroxyl group orientation at carbon atom number 2. In other words, mannose is said to be a C2 epima of glucose. Now, I would like, also like you all to compare the structure of galactose and glucose. Note that there is a change in the orientation of the hydroxyl group at C4. So galactose and glucose are said to be C4 epimers. C4 epimers. Now, do you consider mannose and galactose to be epimers? The answer would be no, and that's because they differ in the orientation at two of the carbon atoms, C2 and C4. So only glucose and galactose are epimers, or glucose and mannose are epimers. Now, enzymes are present that convert one epimeric form to the other form, and they are called as epimerases. We shall be looking at C4 epimerase, C4 epimerase, which converts, reversibly can convert glucose to galactose. Yeah? And that will be under galactose metabolism. Now the pentosis, ribose versus deoxyribose. Now they are basically five carbon sugars and the components, so ribose is a component of DNA, uh, RNA versus deoxyribose is a component of DNA. Yeah? Now if you think about the linkage, it's considered as a beta-N glycosidic linkage which links the sugar to the nitrogen-containing base, purine or the pyrimidine base. Now such a structure is called as a nucleoside. This is what you studied last term, yeah, beginning of last term. A nucleotide is a purine-pyrimidine base with sugar and that sugar is phosphorylated. And that will be a nucleotide which is actually the building block of both DNA and RNA, or nucleic acids. Okay. So ribose and deoxyribose mainly important in the nucleic acids. The polyols. Polyol is, is derived by reduction of sugars. There are two polyols of importance that you have to remember for this course, and one is sorbitol, which is derived by the reduction of glucose, the major monosaccharide, now, if you think about sorbitol, sorbitol is formed specifically in some tissues, especially in a long term diabetic who is basically who has quite high blood glucose levels. So, in a diabetic, what happens is the blood glucose is elevated, glucose enter, enters into tissues, and we are thinking about three main tissues the lens, nerve, or the kidney. so glucose, when there is too much of glucose in the blood. There is more entry of glucose into these tissues. It's going to be used for energy purposes, but also note that since a lot of glucose is entering into these tissues, glucose is converted by this important enzyme, aldose reductase, to form sorbitol, the alcohol sorbitol, aldose reductase. Now sorbitol is considered as a dead-end product, especially in these tissues, lens, nerves, and the kidney and it tends to accumulate within these tissues. Now, sorbitol pulls water from the, from the ECF. In other words, there is going to be swelling of the tissues. There is going to be increased water content of the tissues and swelling of the tissues, and this is said to be partly responsible for some of the chronic complications that you see in patients with diabetes mellitus, uncontrolled type 1 or type 2 diabetes mellitus. For example, too much of sorbitol in the lens could result in opacification of the lens or even changes in prescription glasses. In the nerve and the kidney, the the complications are much more um, complex and much more long-term, where it's partly responsible for neuropathy or nephropathy, so the formation of sorbitol. Now, besides sorbitol, there is one more alcohol that is important, It's derived from another aldohexose, and that is galactose. Yeah. So in children with galactosemia, what happens is there is high blood galactose levels. Galactose enters into the lens, and in the lens it forms another alcohol called as galactitol. Galactitol, galactitol again is a dead end product. It pulls water. It's osmotically active, and it results in cataracts that are seen in children with galactosemia. We'll come to it when we look at galactosemia again. Now, besides these two sugars, uh, or sorry, sugar alcohols, there is one more sugar alcohol that that is inositol that's not listed, but inositol is a component of uh, phosphatidyl inositol bisphosphate, which, which is basically a precursor of the second messenger that is IP3. Yeah? You remember IP3? Somewhere, yeah? <laughs> ip3 is an important uh, second messenger that is derived from phosphatidylinositol bisphosphate which is a phospholipid in the cell membrane okay ip3 and dag okay now the next der- derivative of a monosaccharide is glucuronic acid now glucuronic acid is derived by oxidation of the sixth carbon atom of glucose and as a result if you if you think about the structure it is negatively charged now you come across glucuronic acid in the activated form it's used for many conjugation reactions for example bilirubin or the detoxification of drugs and we shall be seeing examples of that in this module okay now besides that you have seen in the last term that glucuronic acid along with other uronic acids are components of glycosaminoglycans which are basically components of the cell membrane or heparin, and so on, and therefore contribute to the highly negative charge of these macromolecules. The amino sugars, there are basically two amino sugars, glucosamine and galactosamine. These are the two most commonly present. They can be either present in the glycosaminoglycans, the glycoproteins, or the glycolipids. So they're basically components of of the um, as components of the glycosaminoglycans, or they're conjugated with proteins or with the lipids. Now, N acetyl acid, or NANA, is found specifically in the gangliosides. That is one type of glycolipid. Yeah? Gangliosides contain N acetyl acid. So, you may have to go back to it again. We don't expect you to memorize these structures, but we need, need you to remember gangliosides for this module again. We're going to come back to it again. Okay? So try to answer this question. Do we have more responses? So tomorrow you don't have anything. So we recommend that you that you look at the videos. I I, we observe that many videos, uh, many of you all have seen it, but many haven't yet. So we recommend that you look at the videos before the end of the day tomorrow. Okay. Okay, so let's. Yeah. So this is a child with galactosemia. Now, galactose is a C4 epimer. C2 epimer of glucose is mannose. Okay? And we shall look at, and you just go back and try to identify. What's an aldopentose? Which is an aldopentose? Pentose is 5 carbon ribose. Yeah? Ribose or xylose. Ribose is the most abundant, xylose. Okay. Now, next we move on to the disaccharides. Now, disaccharides, of the three, we are looking, we're going to look at three disaccharides. Of the three disaccharides, two of them are reducing and one is not. And this is lactose, which is a reducing sugar. Now, if you think about the component monosaccharides in lactose, it contains a galactose and a glucose. The linkage between the two. Is beta 1,4 glycosidic linkage. Now, this linkage can be cleaved by the enzyme lactase, which is an intestinal disaccharidase. Yeah, it's an intestinal disaccharidase present in the brush border of the intestine. Now, in patients with, or in in people who lack this enzyme, lactase, will what happens is lactose will not be digested, and these people will have quite severe diarrhea. It's called osmotic diarrhea. You're going to look at that in more detail later. Now, lactose becomes important for a clinician because lactose avoidance in the diet is is advised for patients with lactose intolerance and also in children with galactosemia. So there are two situations where you would like to avoid lactose in the diet. In lactose intolerance, you want to avoid lactose in the diet, whereas galactosemia, you want to avoid galactose, which is one of the components. So remember, it's one of the components of lactose. Okay. We say this is a reducing sugar because if you observe the structure, C1 of the glucose is free. C1 is free. In other words, the aldehyde group is free to carry out the reaction. Yeah. So if you do the Benedict's test, you will get a positive Benedict's test. Okay. The disaccharide sucrose. Now, sucrose contains two monosaccharides, glucose and fructose. Now, the linkage is unusual in that the C1 of glucose is linked to C2 of fructose. Now, if you think about the um, functional group, C1 of glucose contains the aldehyde, which is the functional group, is linked to C2 of fructose, which contains the keto group, which is also the functional group. So, if you think about this sugar, you find that the aldehyde group of Glucose is linked to the keto group of fructose. In other words, this is a classical example of a non-reducing sugar and the only non-reducing disaccharide. Yeah? So it's a non-reducing sugar. Because C1 and C2, the functional groups of both the sugars, are involved in the glycosidic linkage and none of them are free to catalyze the reaction. Now sucrose is digested again, in the intestine by the intestinal disaccharides called as um, by the intestinal disaccharide and disaccharides, that is sucrase. when would you like to avoid sucrose in the diet most of us have to avoid sucrose in the diet yeah it seems we are becoming addicted to sugar so most of us yeah i think it's it's the number one addictor now it's it's we have beaten alcohol so sucrose is <laughs> yeah. So sucrose is considered as the number one addiction in the world. Yeah, very surprising, right? I see the surprise look on your face. Yeah, but even even I feel I'm addicted sometimes because if I don't eat something sweet on a day, I feel like, you know, somewhat <laughs> I feel kind of jittery kind. So maybe it is true. You know. Mm-hmm. Now, when would you avoid sucrose in the diet? Sucrose would be avoided children who cannot metabolize fructose that is hereditary fructose intolerance yeah and we'll come back to that in the later lectures now when you're talking about sucrose i will just talk about fructose now fructose which is a monosaccharide remember it is a ketohexose, it is considered to be more sweet than glucose it's you know it's like many many times more sweet than fructose And that's why sometime in the 1960s, what they did was they broke down sucrose, basically corn sugar. They broke down the sugar and they increased the fructose component. And as a result, we have this HFCS, which is HFCS. So if you compare the sweetness of HFCS and sucrose, you find that HFCS is much, much more sweet because of the high concentration of fructose so what was done is sucrose was basically hydrolyzed and they increased the content of fructose and therefore this is much more sweeter it's used as an artificial sweetener and as a substitute for sucrose basically in soft drinks okay so at this time as also as a nutritional concept we would like you all to compare HFCS with sucrose Sucrose is a disaccharide, whereas HFCS is a mixture of monosaccharides, fructose and glucose. It need not be digested. We don't need an enzyme for digestion because it's already pre-digested. What is also interesting is we would like you all to compare the ratio of fructose to glucose. The ratio of fructose to glucose in sucrose is 1, yeah? whereas in HFCS it is more than 1. Fructose is higher than uh, glucose. Okay. And there is this video that you have when you have at the end of the module or at the end of the term when you when you have time. It seems the higher consumption of HFCS has been linked to the higher incidence of obesity. Quite interesting. So you can go back and and re- uh, look at that video when you have time. Yeah. <laughs> now the next disaccharide in line is maltose. Now maltose, there is. Um, Generally, our diet does not contain much maltose, but maltose is formed in the intestine due to partial digestion of starch by amylase. So one of the, end product, one of the, um, the, the final end product of digestion of starch is glucose, but one of the intermediates in the digestion is maltose, which is basically two units of glucose linked by an alpha-1,4 linkage. Alpha-1,4 linkage. So what happens is whatever starch you take in the diet is initially broken down by amylase into maltose and and many other oligosaccharides. Maltose is later broken down by maltase into the the glucose units that that are the final end products of starch digestion. Now is maltose a reducing or a non-reducing sugar? You will find that the carbon atom number one of this glucose molecule is still free. In other words, it's an example of a reducing sugar. Okay? And the enzyme is maltase. Now next we move on to the polysaccharides. Polysaccharides can be classified as HOMO, which contains the same monosaccharide repeating unit versus heteropolysaccharides. And under that we have the glycosaminoglycans and the, mucopoly- or the mucopolysaccharides, which basically contain two repeating units. That is, it contains an amino sugar and a uronic acid. Yeah. We shall look at a little more detail about the homopolysaccharides. Under that we have three: starch, glycogen, and cellulose. All of them contain glucose as the monosaccharide unit. All of them contain glucose. So we need to pay attention to. How are they similar and how are they different from each other? So at the end of this lecture, you should be able to tell me what are the similarities of these three and how are they different from each other. Now, glycogen is the storage polysaccharide in animals, including humans. Now, if you if you look at the structure, there are basically two tissues where glycogen is present. One is the liver and the skeletal muscle. So basically two tissues where significant amounts of glycogen are present. Now if you think about the structure of glycogen, it has a central, a central protein which is considered as almost like a primer protein called as glycogenin. You're going to come to this in glycogen metabolism. Now on the glyco, from the glycogenin you have these innumerable branches of glucose units. And each dot here signifies a glucose unit. So there are hundreds or thousands of glucose units coming out of the primer or the glycogenin. Now you also observe that this is a highly branched structure. So the glucose that's present in glycogen is highly branched. Now there are basically two types. So each dot here is a glucose unit. The linkage between the glucose units in the main chain in the main chain is alpha-1,4, alpha-1,4 linkage, whereas the linkage at the branch point, only at the branch point, is alpha 1-6. So if you look at the structure of glycogen, there are basically two types of um, linkages. One is alpha 1-4 in the main chain versus alpha 1-6, and that is only at the branch point, only at the ba- branch point. So which is more abundant, alpha-1,4 or alpha-1,6? Alpha-1,4 is, of course, more abundant. Yeah? The branching is quite frequent, about 8 to 10 glucose units from one branch point to another. So that is quite frequent. Okay. Now, if you think about the structure, the enzymes of glycogen metabolism, they act at the ends, at the non-reducing ends. All of these are considered as non-reducing ends, and the enzymes of glycogen metabolism act on the ends of the glycogen structure. So if you look at this, that is your glycogen molecule, and these are the enzymes of glycogen metabolism, of glycogen synthesis as well as glycogen breakdown, and they act towards the periphery of the glycogen structure. Okay? Now if you want to see it, zoom into the glycogen structure, you will see that alpha-1,4 links in the main chain Versus alpha one six remember the alpha one six is only at the branch point, yeah, and about eight to ten glucose units from one branch point to another okay now pay attention to the structure of glycogen because in a variety of glycogen storage disorders, sometimes the normal glycogen will accumulate there is too much of the normal glycogen, or in some other disorders there are um, there is accumulation of an abnormal kind of glycogen, either which is highly branched or very tiny branches or no branches. So pay attention to the structure of glycogen, because when you go to the glycogen storage disorders, you need to know what is the normal structure if you want to say what is abnormal. Okay. Now, starch is the major dietary polysaccharide. It's, it's also considered as the storage polysaccharide in animals. Now, remember, Starch is one of the um, your dietary components that you can start digesting in your mouth because your, mouth, your sal- salivary glands contain will release amylase, and therefore starch is the only or one of the dietary components. And we can see it's the only. Yeah, it's the only dietary component there that digestion actually begins in the mouth. Now, it's if you think about the structure of glycogen. Uh, sorry, starch. It has a one, It has two components, amylose and amylopectin. Amylopectin is branched and is similar to glycogen. Amylose is a linear unbranched polymer of glucose. So it's a long chain of glucose units, that is amylose. Both of these can be digested, both these components can be digested by your salivary and pancreatic amylase form maltose initially and later maltose and a few oligosaccharides and later the maltose is going to be cleaved to glucose units. So basically what I'm trying to explain here is starch is basically made up only of glucose units. There are two kinds of um, linkages just like glycogen, alpha 1,4 in the main chain versus alpha 1,6 at the branch point. Okay. However, there is a slight difference in the structure of starch versus glycogen. So that is glycogen, note that it is highly branched. The the frequency of branching, so every, there is branches about 8 to 10 glucose units from one branch to another. Whereas here it's said to be about 20 to 30 glucose units from one branch to another. So I just want you all to realize that the number of branches in glycogen is much, much more than the number of branches in starch. Okay. Now, next we move on to cellulose, which is also a homo- homopolysaccharide. On digestion of cellulose, you get glucose units. Yeah? But the linkage in cellulose is different. It's, it's not alpha-1,4. It is beta-1,4 linkages. So basically, cellulose... If you try to compare it to starch and glycogen, it is unbranched. So it's a long chain of glucose units linked by beta-1,4. Remember that's different from glycogen or starch. And the the linkage is beta-1,4 as well as it is not branched. So it's unbranched and the linkage is beta-1,4. Now these beta-1,4 linkages, we do not have any enzymes in the digestive tract to cleave the beta 1 4 linkages in cellulose and therefore cellulose is a component of the dietary fiber or the undigested carbohydrate yeah and it, it improves the gut motility now one frequently asked question is lactase can it hydrolyze the bond the beta 1 4 links in cellulose and the answer is no okay so lactase cannot hydrolyze these links in cellulose neither amylase can do it Okay, Amylase cannot digest your cellulose. So at the end of this, I want you all to compare all three, okay? all three that we just talked about, starch, cellulose, and glycogen. Okay? You've learned about the glycosaminoglycans. Now under the lysosomal storage disorders, you'll be coming back to them again. So you may want to just review briefly. When you look at the lysosomal storage disorders, what are these? Yeah, they're basically components. Most of them are components of the basement membrane, except heparin, which is an anticoagulant. Okay? And they contain glucosamine and uronic acid, glucose or galactosamine. Okay? Now, glycoproteins in which an oligosaccharide is linked to a protein component, there are two kinds of glycoproteins. You've already studied this last term. N-linked glycoproteins, where, it's, where the carbohydrate group is linked to asparagine, that is an amino acid, versus O-linked glycoproteins, in which the carbohydrate group is linked to serine, or sometimes threonine. Okay? So this is what you have studied last term. So it's just like a review of what you did last term. Now, sphingolipids, this I think was one of your first lectures in the last term. Yeah? Now, we are coming back to it again, especially uh, they are components of membranes, but under the lysosomal storage disorders, we want to look at the sphingolipids again. That is a ceramide, sphingosine with fatty acid. Now, if you think about the two classes of sphingolipids, those which contain carbohydrates are called glycosphingolipids versus if they contain phosphate and choline, that's a sphingophospholipid or sphingomyelin. So again, this is like review, and you will need this for your lysosomal storage disorders. And on the next slide is, is just basically the difference between a cerebroside, globoside, ganglioside, which contains n neuraminic acid. Sulfatide contains sulfate. So we're coming back to this again. So it's, it's good if you just review it when you have the time before the lysosomal storage disorders, yeah? because there is a disorder associated with each of them and accumulation of them results in one of the lysosomal storage disorders. Yeah? Okay, I think, so that is your concept map. You can go back and review it. I think there are about three questions that we shall try to complete. this this question has been perceived as tricky okay so read it well okay i think we have reached the Oh, any more? Okay, let's look at the answer. Yeah, that's, so what is the what is that word there that, into? Yeah, monosaccharides is good. Identical is important. And if you just write identical monosaccharides, you pick out one, and that's what many people have done. But the it's hydrolyzed into hundreds. Hundreds of, okay? Whereas maltose has only two, okay? And the answer would be starch, okay? Any more responses? Now this this question is kind of um, what I want you all to do is okay so that's, that is lactose intolerance so hundreds of glucose units is either starch or glycogen two glucose units is maltose glucose and fructose in the ratio of 1 is to 1 is sucrose only fructose is the monosaccharide fructose and glucose in the ratio of 55 is to 45, that is HFCS, high fructose corn syrup. Lecture number 25 has been updated. I think that was done in error, so it has been updated today. So any other things that you want us to do, please let us know or write to SOM BPM1. Oh, sorry, <laughs> I'm sorry, BPM2. I'm sorry, BPM2, yeah. <laughs> because last week I was teaching in BPM1. The answer is a reducing disaccharide and that is lactose. Practice questions have been updated, so if if there's anything else you need, you can send us an email or let me know in person other than the exam questions okay, okay. any more responses? okay I think I saw three ninety okay, huh. Okay, so what is this? This is, it's glucose, yeah. So it's glucose. Now the next question is, the sugar present in the urine is? Is glucose, yes, but you have to say, is it a ketohexose? No, that would be fructose. Is it an aldohexose? That's the answer. 55% of you got it. Is it an epima of glucose? That is glucose. Epima of glucose is either manose or galactose. Okay? Is it a reducing disaccharide? No, it's a monosaccharide, right? So the answer is two. It's an aldohexose. Aldopentose example is ribose. Okay. Yeah, I think that's your last slide. This is just for review when you go back. Yeah, just try to identify and then come back in, in 10 minutes for the next lecture. No, come back in, at 9. Yeah, come back at 9. Thank you.